add a bit of sunshine to your home with Easy Living Furniture's Garden Furniture Sale with stunning dining sets, cracking egg chairs and relaxing sun loungers that are in stock and ready for delivery there really is something for everyone and with an extra 10% off sale prices and free delivery over 399 now really is the time to let your garden shine Garden Sale now on Visit Easy Living Furniture Don't miss out Find your local store online at easylivingfurniture.ie This is an Irish independent podcast. Hello and welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry. Folks, have you ever truly tested your limits? Well, my guest today certainly has and some. She's a fearless open water swimmer and adventurer. She's spent decades as a scuba diving professional. She's helped shape the standards for ice and channel swimming. And she holds not one, but two Guinness World Records for extreme cold water swimming. She also has a brand new book out by the name of Limitless. Her name is Nuala Moore, sea adventurer and cold specialist. She joins us on the show for a deep dive about her incredible life. Nuala, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm very well, and thank you very much for allowing me the opportunity to chat. Well, one of our, well, one of the, the production team on the on uh, all the podcasts in Media House heard you were coming in today, and I've never seen a person so excited in all my life that we were going to have you on the show. He was absolutely just saying you're his favorite, per- you're, you're his favorite person ever, and uh, you did a talk for their triathlon club a couple of, I think, during COVID, and how amazing you were and how wonderful you were. Uh, so we're all excited to have you on we really are listen let's get cracking there's loads to talk about um, the ocean is for some people it's quite tranquil it's quite relaxed for others it's, it's terrifying what inspired you to look at it and say that's my life they're my challenges um, I suppose for me Carl the sea has been a way of life it's not that it was somewhere that I went to swim it was where we spent our childhood And also it is somewhere that coming from a fishing family, it is, you know, we watched it in all its guises. My job as a child was to sit on the back window waiting for daddy to come home so my mother could put the potatoes on, you know. So for us, the sea was in the blood. It was always watching forecasts, studying form and hearing stories. So like when it was about going swimming as a very young child, my father would say, if you come over here, if a boat can can hit you. So for me, swimming was never just I'm going for a swim. It was it's what we did to get away, but it was always like a bigger picture in my family. So for me, the swimming was was just naturally what what we gravitated to. And it's important to tell people Dingle is Dingle is your local Dingle is your area, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Dingle. I was born actually in Donegal. Um, from a fishing family. So my father and his fishing family went up and then my mother is from Donegal. So we gravitated back down to Dingle. And from a very young age, I grew up swimming in Dingle Bay. And, you know, I, I keep telling this story, but I do think it's funny. When we were very young on a Sunday, my father would take us out and he'd throw us in. And, you know, a lot of people said I should have rethought that because I would swim home every week. Um <laughs> But it was, it was a rite of passage. And, and, you know, and I do think it's one of those things that as children, we were really engaged on this whole water of risk and the area of risk and being able to navigate and survival. And, you know, if you got into trouble, you kind of kept it to yourself because you you mightn't be allowed out again. And there was always older people watching younger people, younger people being inspired by older people. So I think growing up in and around the sea was one of the best um, masters and lessons that I would have for the journey that I took. 
And how, tell me about that journey then. So how do you, you go from Dingle and swimming off the boat home to taking on some of the most dangerous waters in the world? How does that happen? Uh, just, I suppose you add in the cocktail of a streak of madness. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, like anything, we start as we mean to go on in life. And very young, I would look at, say, Slaudine, where the dolphin spent his entire life. And then from there... You, you know, I watched the bigger boys going out further and then, you know, I was always planning how to follow them and, you know, always looking at like, well, I could get out there or I could get out there or they won't see me if I go here. So I think very early on there was this sense of, you know, not wanting to stay by the shore. And I think that kind of designs where we go in later life as well, in our ability to look beyond the perimeters of our own risk assessment. So in I, I got involved in sea swimming very early on. And I think one of the things that really excited me, Carl, was, you know, I would swim, say, from Cooin Pier to Ventry Pier on a day or I would get in and bean born and I would swim to Dingle Harbour and it might take me two or three hours, but I wouldn't have had any other plans for the day and I might maybe stop along the way. But it just was kind of something that I did and it never dawned on me of risk or anything, but I always kind of, you know, mindful of boats coming in and out, I would do the safe cross code, you know, look up and down and get across. So I think, you know, as time went on, I really loved this participation business. And in the late 90s, I, you know, I used to convince friends to come with me to swim from Cooin to Ventry. And it was never, you know, trying to go faster. It was trying to involve people. And give us that in distances, because, you you know, you, I'm sure I'm, it's... Yeah, yeah. Presuming everybody knows Cooin to Ventry. <laughs> Uh, and you should. Why of course, don't you? Of course. Um, say Coon to Venture would be about two kilometers. Like oh, yeah. you can actually come and angle the beach or else you can swim from pier to pier. But it's beautiful in the center. And I and I suppose coming from a diving background as well, you know, going off the side of a boat, being in big water, feeling the power and being held by the ocean. There's a very different feeling in that than actually swimming by the shore. So I loved the the sense of bringing people into that environment and then creating safety boats around us. And we always had that ability to kind of maybe put out a lead swimmer, put maybe the people with the the, the less confidence in the center and the strong people at the pack and the back. And we would pack people together. And the job was always to stay together to make sure everybody loved it. And I remember, um, oh gosh, maybe 20, 25 years ago now, um, I set up five kilometer swims and it was watching, I got great excitement watching people be excited about these things. And it was always about the sandwich and having fun and, and, and sharing experiences. So in 2005 and six, I was invited on to swim around Ireland and you might say, wow, why? Um, but for me, I thought, oh, my gosh, all I have to do every day is swim between four and six hours. So for me, I looked on it as an absolute privilege to look at the country from the outside in. And coming from a fishing family, I would have heard all the stories about from Slinehead to Donegal, down to Kerry and around. So for me, all of those things seemed a wonderful match. And we trained for over a period of, I think, maybe about a year and a bit. 
um, there was Ian Claxton from Donny from from Dublin, but now living in Galway. Tom Waters from Meath, now living in Galway as well. Anne Marie Ward, her brother Ryan Ward, myself, and Henry O'Donnell. And then we had a very big rescue unit, and then we had a land operations unit. And I think you know having that experience of training with people to swim long distance always in an environment where safety was first casualty recovery was the the main focus if we can't get you out of the water we don't get into the water it was that mindset and then coming from a diving professional in the middle of it and i was also working with the coast guard it was just a beautiful match so when we began and this might interest you uh, when we began swimming in donegal in 2006 um, the north coast of Ireland, we were swimming between four and six miles every day each. And then as we turned south from, say, Antrim coast down to uh, Tusca Rock, it was probably about another two weeks before we made Tusca Rock. And as we turned the south coast, the miles became from, say, 20, 25 minute miles on the east coast to 50 minute miles on the south coast. Tides run north-south, we're running west. Miles are getting longer, we're getting weaker. And it became a very interesting cocktail because you're losing control at a time where you're trying to validate your premise, you know, why are we here? So what fascinated us is the length of Cork. Cork goes on forever. <laughs> it starts and it goes on. I mean, my God, two weeks we were still off the Cork coast. I blame that. Having just swam around the galley head a few weeks ago, I blame the currents on that because, yeah, we, 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 or, or certainly some of them, some of them. <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, and it took two weeks to swim to Kerry. And, it, you know, at this point we were breaking down and the team were getting tighter. And I think when you see that part of yourself where you have the ability to let go and allow the team to step in, where the team then is trying to figure out how to get you to the next point. There's a beautiful relationship there. It's that it's that moment when you realize we're all buying into this common objective, which is to swim around Ireland. But, you know, I think by the time we got to Kerry and then we had to face the West Coast, which took another month. Um, we were physically bruised, we were battered, we were 18 hours a day on Zodiacs. You know, you gave up food, there was no eating, there was sleeping while engines were going. You know, we were, ribs were bouncing on us because we were 20 miles off coast. And by the time we got to Donegal, which was 56 uh, days later, um, we just, we were holding on by a thread, but there was a team around us who, who I suppose, in the most beautiful relationship, you know, kept us together to get there and crossing those last coasts. You're rotating your arm. You're just really arms for hire, but you've bought into the common objective, albeit under an enormous stress situation. So I think when you when you experience the person that you can be in those moments, it's so beautiful that you don't always seek that out. So swimming around Ireland for me broke a lot of the, I suppose, the, 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 I suppose what I wanted from things um, but we gained two stone Carl <laughs> yes all of the swimmers we gained two stone that's some that's some serious fueling I, no, but I, I've, no, ex I've experienced no. something similar when I when I did a uh, race around Ireland on bike uh, a bike race which is some, something vaguely similar to that it's easier obviously because you're on bikes but you have a team minding it and there's a lovely simplicity to it though isn't there because all you have to do is cycle or in your case swim 
and you have a team of people who mind you and feed you and do whatever else and there's something very uh, mentally fr- uh, freeing because all your job is solely to put one hand in front of the other and cycle or swim uh, and there's something very there's a, an amazing freedom to that we found that when we did with RAI that, that, that you really found exhausted as you might be you were you were certain you feel free is the word I, I would use yeah, and I think it's the fact that you don't have to reason anything. You're just, you have to buy into the common objective. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, leaving the team was very difficult. But but the emotions that we experienced in the team um, was was something that I will always carry with me for the rest of my life. Because as I say in, in the book, Saranu Fine said, you know, you can teach skills, but you can't teach character. Um, and I think, you know, when you are surrounded by people like that who are willing to make the call or not make the call or or maybe put their safety right there and say, this is not your swim. You know, they're beautiful moments. I think, you know, to have those things that you can experience is wonderful. So after 56 days, we made it. And and even though I tried to go back into regular swimming afterwards, I think I struggled a lot with recognition and value and achievement and sacrifice after that. And you know you've, you've taken it to extremes and beyond, and, and and in terms of the events that you've done in Cape Horn and all of that. My question for you is that when stuff goes wrong, talk to me about that then, that because I think people are often interested in as you know the events obviously, but also you know when stuff goes wrong, how do you handle that? When the power of the ocean becomes overwhelming, how do you mentally deal with that? When physically things go wrong, how do you deal with? Because they're often that overcoming the, the that you know the 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 challenges and 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 the hard parts can where people can really learn from. You know. Um. This is where my mind is bouncing around trying to find where that question is going. When things go wrong, in our case, if I was to go into the Bering Strait and when we were swimming from Russia to America, if things go wrong, they're life threatening. Um, And a lot of people, I would hope, would never be in situations because it takes a very specific moment in time to uncurl your fingers from a Zodiac in the middle of the Bering Strait at two o'clock in the morning in freezing waters and high waves. So like when I would go to that place when things go wrong, like there is no there is no plan B Um, in Cape Horn if the plan went wrong there, then they would lose me and they would never find me and there was no coming home. So, you know, you risk assess to the point that then there are variables which may come in. But that's what happens. Um, you know, as they say, you you sweat the small stuff, you know. Um, when you train, I would always train I suppose in a way, you train for everything. You train for all eventualities. And like I like to bring every one of my training programs to the very end. So I would train for casualty recovery. I would train for acute hypothermia. I would train for everything because you have to be able to micromanage all of the mm-hmm. outcomes. Um, so if it, if, it, if it was the case when things go wrong in some of the ice swims, um, you know, I mean, in, in a pool environment, in a confined environment, it's about the team. Um, if it's in a training scenario, then that's different. You're preparing for the worst case scenario. And, you, and then when things do get tough, you have the, the safety in, in your mind and the knowledge in your mind, which is that I've prepped this, I've planned for this, I've gone there, I know the the the, the plan of action, you know, I know the plan, I know the guy, I know the, the protocol for this, which is, you know, very much the answer to the question. On those, you know, big, the long swims that you do, when it gets tough, you're you're very driven, you're hyper-focused. And people listening in will be thinking, you know, I have a tough day and I fall off the wagon. Well, you don't. You, when you, when you get, have a tough day, you keep on going. And you know what? What delivers that? 
Um, well, I wouldn't agree that I keep on going. I cry easy, but okay. I've discovered early that you don't cry and swim because then your goggles fill up and then that's <laughs> every day. Um, I think for me, um, it's all about value and sacrifice. It's about how much of your life you're willing to exchange for this moment. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, people say, you know, how much was an event? And for me, the cost of any event is the amount of my life I'm willing to exchange for it. And then there comes in the scenario of how much you're willing to put in. Now, I, I, you know, the extremes for me were a way of keeping myself very honest. And like I got into a stage probably in and around 2009, 10 and 11, where I felt I could rock up and do things without ever putting 100 percent in. And I'm sure that resonates with a lot of people that, you know, I mean, there's some people who are born to run. They're like natural gazelles. Um, whereas, or Giselles or whatever, um, whereas like, I mean, people speed walk pa- faster than me. For me, my greatest competition was always facing myself in the mirror, you know, looking myself and, and people were saying, oh, well done. And you knew you weren't giving it what you should. And I think that was probably my, my tectonic plates shifting because, you know, I, I was probably coming to a point where I had to decide, was I going to cruise along at this mediocre for me? And like you can rock up to events and you can, you know, you can get a medal or you can win a race or you can compete where you may get an achievement. But for me, it became about the value. And like, I suppose having been exposed to what I got from myself after being in the Round Ireland and you mentioned the bike race, there's a beauty in those moments that you, you you know, at times maybe you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and you just get a flashback and you might laugh at the insanity of a moment. And I think for me, I crossed a kind of a barrier that I wanted more for myself. Um, And it didn't matter that other people couldn't recognize it. It mattered most that I had an understanding what I wanted from myself. And it came back to value, you know, and, and people would say to you, you know, you're amazing. But when you don't feel it, um, I couldn't I couldn't recognize it. And I did hit a bit of a speed wobble at times where I kind of felt if you weren't me, then really you weren't really working very hard. Um, so I had to kind of roll myself back and ask what I wanted from the sport. And I wanted pushback. You know, I wanted to be pushed back. I wanted to be challenged. I wanted something to be hard. And I didn't find that in marathon swimming because, you know, you see people, they rock up and they can they can swim for six hours and seven hours. And I could do that. But for what? You know, for what? So I decided that the ice was something that I wanted to engage in. And um, I went to Siberia in 2012. And one of the events was a thousand meters at zero degrees in the ice. Now, at that time, I thought, like, who gets out of bed to swim a thousand meters? It was like a, a measly 20 minutes. And I arrived in Siberia. And the, the moment that I lowered myself into zero degrees, the moment I went down the ladder, it just it squeezed the living daylights out of me. And people are probably experiencing it now with winter swimming. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating because for me, I just felt that life was being taken from me and I was being hit backwards. And in a strange way, it excited me because for the first time in a long time, I was being challenged. So I remember um, about three or four lengths into the swim, which, you know, I mean, who travels four flights around the world to swim 100 meters? 
And I, I got up, I, I put the feet under me because my brain was fried. I was unable to process. My breathing was, was gone. It was just a complete brain fog and it was complete panic. And I, and I talk about it in the book in the way that like for, for once in my life, I could not get forward. And I remember standing up and thinking like, why, what stopped me? And it was the first time that I actually got to ask myself that question. Up to that, I was able to drive into the abyss. Um, and that for me was a beautiful moment. I was like a juvenile. I was like at the bottom <laughs> rung of a ladder about to climb. And there's something so exciting. It's like a child. It was like, oh my God. So I came home and I sat down with my cup of tea and, you know, I sat in the room and only two other women in the world at that time, Natalia Serrera, who I had witnessed swim a thousand meters at zero and Lynn Cox in the Antarctic. So I thought, you know, I can do this if I can get this under control, if I can control my mind, I can do this because I'd seen it done. So I sat myself down with my cup of tea and I thought, right, train for what stops you. Like what is stopping you? And that'll bring it back to that other question. You know, what happens when things go wrong if it is your mind? So my whole mantra at that time, it was so simple. If you can't breathe, you can't swim. Like if you can't get through this next breath, then you can't function. So I had to figure out like what's stopping me? And what was stopping me was my breathing. I, could, I couldn't breathe. So I went back to education. I went back to deciding, okay, well, what is it? And it's cold shock, which we now know. But at the time, nobody was swimming in cold water. Nobody was in zero. And I thought, right. So I reached out to Professor Tipton. I went and I started studying it. I reached out to a lot of the Coast Guard officials, um, Adrian O'Hara, and, and we discussed hypothermia and we discussed cold water incapacitation and all of that. So I had my pen and paper every night trying to say, okay, if I do this and I do this and I do this, and I would swim for one minute extra. And then I would recover really strong. Mm -hmm. And like my plan was don't go outside the plan. One minute. And I stayed one extra minute. And once I got to about 11 or 12 minutes, I was able to control my breathing. And then I could control my head. So it gives you a skill set of trying to understand what is stopping you from moving forward. And then asking yourself, is the pain worth it? Because, you know, who takes the hits? Who goes in and puts their body in these stress conditions? And But there's a beauty being pushed into that wall. There's a beautiful moment where you are facing yourself. And there's there's a little bit of excitement in madness, too. You know, there always is. I see people <laughs> bouncing over the counter pass and you're wondering, like, are they flying or are they running? You know, when they're coming over the mountains. But uh, yeah. So then uh, six weeks later, I traveled back inside the Arctic Circle um, to Murmansk and I became the first Irish swimmer, but the third woman in the world to complete a thousand at zero, which was swimming for 23 minutes at zero in my swimming togs. But it was here. It was just a mind of holding on as tight as I could. And of course, it's breaking a big challenge down into bit by bit by bit, focus on the breath and, and the small the, the small things. Um, final question, which is what's the next challenge? Where do you go now? What's the having done everything that you have? What's in your, what's in the future lineup? Well, I suppose just to touch on the Bering Strait and to touch on the Cape Horn very briefly, because I know I, I went into other areas there. Like the Bering Strait was just the craziness of the team and letting go in extreme conditions. And then I just the Cape Horn was a hundred miles south of the most southerly tip of South America. You're going into water where like no other swimmer in the world had gone there at that point, which was a hundred miles south and two miles south of the southern tip. So unleashing that was all about control as well and putting a team around me. So far those 
Like it was never about the swim. It was never about being the first person in the world. It was about finding little parts of me that I could fix. Um, and I felt myself again drifting back into that grey. So for me, it really is always because you can buy medals, you know, achievement is 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 all personal. And for me, that that little moment of seeing that extra bit of greatness was was very important. So I'm not the perfect product, much and all, as I know you are going to say that I am, Carl. Um, there are some minor fixes yet. In the meantime, I'd love to get to the Antarctic. I would love to do maybe some replication of Tom Crean's Journey Elephant Island, South Georgia. Um, that was on the cards. COVID put put paid to that. I would love to try maybe altitude and ice to see, take away the breathing, increase the temperature, you know, maybe do a little bit of cocktail. But again, I, I just, just keep being the best version of myself for me. I love it. And what a wonderful way to end. Listen, your book Limitless is out now in bookshops nationwide. Folks, I've had a good read of it. It is absolutely fantastic. Neil, great to chat to you and well done on the book. Folks, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. You know where we are at Carl Henry PT and Real Health at independent.ie. Have a cold shower. Have a cold swim this week, inspired by Nula and all the uh, the content she's given us. And we'll see you next week for more Real Health. Slonga, folks.